We spent six weeks covering the book of 2 Peter. Now for the last two weeks of this series, let's tackle the little book called Jude. Uh, imagine for a second that you and me and all of us were gathered together at the best dinner party ever. I'm talking so much mouth-watering food that there wasn't enough counter space to contain all of it. We had to put the desserts out in the garage. Uh, someone brings a, a perfectly smoked brisket. It's right next to the fish tacos with the fresh mango salsa. There, there's a summer salad with strawberries picked right from the garden next to a heaping bowl of fresh mozzarella. There's the warm chocolate chip cookies stacked up on a plate right out of the oven, stacked right next to the chocolate chip cheesecake, to which some of you will put two cookies and a slice of cheesecake in the middle. <laughs> the food is like the best you've ever had. But there's something at this party even better than the food. Uh, there's the people. Uh, you don't know what it is, but you, you just click from the second you step in the door. There's good people and warm people, people that let your guard down and help you relax, people that don't make you nervous, people who are so fun and funny that your face starts to hurt after a few minutes. You, you can't remember a better time you have had in years. And trying to be a good host, I duck downstairs to grab you your next drink. But as I'm down and the fridge is open, I smell something. Something off. Eggs? Gone bad? Ah. And then my brain connects the dots. Gas. As I hear another roar of laughter, in the party above me, I realized that there's a natural gas leak in the home where we're gathered. Which means I have to make a decision. Crash the party? Or not? I, mean, I don't want to scatter such a great time. I don't want to end the festivities. I don't want us all to run out to the street while the good food gets cold. I don't want to. But I think you'd agree with me that I kind of have to. That's the phrase I want to put in your mind today. I don't want to, but I kind of have to. In life, have you ever been in a situation like that where you didn't want to, but you realized you had to? Like maybe it's that moment with you and your best friend. And like you love her, but she's making some decisions that are they're not good for her, they're not good for anyone. And and you don't want to have that, like, I love you, but conversation. You'd rather just laugh and joke like you normally do. You, you don't want to confront her for her behavior, but if you love her, even if you don't want to, you, you have to. Or you're dating someone or you're married to them. You don't want to have that, like, heart-to-heart, uh, define the relationship, let's deal with some issue that's kind of growing and getting worse situation. You know it's going to make an otherwise good night much more difficult. You don't want things to get serious. But a lot of you have been there and you realize that if you care about the long-term future of this relationship, you don't want to, but you kind of have to. Or parents, where my parents at? Would you agree or not that 42% of parenting is, I don't want to, but I kind of have to. I mean, what dad wants to turn the van around on the summer vacation? No. 
What, what mom really wants to leave a full cart of groceries at the store so she can find a priest to like exercise the demon that has now possessed <laughs> her little son? I mean, parents, we don't want to discipline our kids any more than we want to change their diapers. We don't want to, but if we love them, we have to. Right? And if you agree with all that, you realize that there are times in life where it's not comfortable and it's not easy and it's not what we'd prefer, but sometimes if you're thinking down the road of the, the health of a friendship or a relationship or a, a kid as he's going to maturity, even if you don't want to, you have to. I want to tell you all that because it's important in your spiritual journey that you realize that sometimes church is like that too. When I stand up here and look at you, when you sit out there or you're watching at home and you're looking back at me, I think what both of us would want is the fun stuff of the Christian faith. And there's lots of it. Yeah, I want to talk about the greatness of God and the fact that he is right here with us and with his people. I want to gush to you about the forgiveness of the cross, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, and the power of the mighty name of Jesus. If you took the time to, to get dressed and, and maybe shower and drive all the way over here with the gas prices being with it, I bet you want to hear that there is a God who knows you and yet he loves you, a God who is for you and has plans for you. It doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter how much you weigh, how smart you are. Like There is a reason God has you on this planet, a great purpose for your life that you can find and rejoice. And that's what you want. That's what I want. You know, wants to come to church and hear some Bible thumper letting you feel the flames of the fires of hell. No one wants to get yelled at and then like, give an offering and call it a Sunday. We don't, we don't want that. But if I ever <laughs> smelled some spiritual threat in the air, or to switch the analogy, if, if I ever knew that there was a, an active spiritual shooter in the building, what would you want me to do? Crack a joke and tell you more about Jesus? Sometimes in this part of our life, just like all the other parts of our lives, we might not want to, but we agree that we have to. And that's really what the book of Jude is all about. Um, Jude, if you're not familiar, is just this one chapter, a little book, tucked way near the end of the Bible, right before the book of Revelation. Um, Jude, it appears, was written by the half-brother of Jesus, also born of Mary after Jesus was born, and Jude wanted to speak to his Christian friends and tell them all these great, great things about being a Christian. That's what he wanted. But at the end of the day, he ended up with a letter that wasn't maybe what he first wanted, but what he knew his friends needed. Now, we've been talking about tough and tender in the Bible. And if I had to summarize the book of Jude, um, any of you ever seen one of those like New York pastrami sandwiches with like, 10 inches of meat and two little slices of bread. That's the book of Jude. A little tender in the beginning, a little tender in the last verse or two, and then just a tough sandwich to swallow. But Jude knew he had to. And uh, today you're going to find out why. 
So if you have a Bible with you or just want to follow along with me on the screen, listen to the opening words of the book of Jude. Here's what he wanted. He writes, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, he loves these people. Although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. Catch it? I was so eager. I just wanted to write you a letter about the salvation that we share. Jesus saved me. Jesus saved you. That's why we have been called why God the Father loves us so much, why he's keeping us for heaven with Jesus Christ. I I wanted to write a letter filled with uh, mercy and peace and love that is yours through the name of Jesus in abundance. That's what I wanted to do. But, Jude says, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith. Uh, The word contend in the Greek language that Jude wrote in has the word agony in the midst of it. It's like a, it's like a wrestling match. It's going to be agonizing. It's going to be like stepping into the, the Colosseum or a boxing ring or going to war or, or being a hardworking farmer. It's going to be hard. I, I need to tell you to contend, to agonize for the faith. Right? Not some faith or just whatever you want to believe. The Christian faith that Jesus handed to his apostles that's been handed down to the audience of this day. It's like a treasure and someone's going to try to wrestle it away from you. I need to urge you to fight back. I need you to fight for what is historically and biblically true so someone doesn't snatch this out of your hands before it's too late. That's what Jude's letter is all about. It makes you wonder, well, well, what was up? What happened that made... Jude, write that. Why is he saying to his dear friends, hey, I wanted to talk about the good stuff, but I got to tell you to fight against these people who want to do bad stuff. What was happening? Well, verse 4 has the answer. Jude continues, 4, here's the explanation. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and they deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Jude knew that there were some people, certain people, who weren't just like out there in the world or on the internet. Instead, they had slipped in, he says, among you. There's people sitting next to you in church. There are are voices that you are hearing within the walls of the church and they're telling you to very very dangerous things that can take away your faith. Uh, If you're watching at home or you're here, grab a pen and write this down. Here are the two dangers that Jude is so concerned about. Number one, these people say that grace is a reason to sin. He says they pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality. Free pass, do whatever you want. Second, These people are saying that Jesus isn't really Lord. Quote, they deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. 
In other words, these people that had secretly slipped in the church were saying, hey, listen, if, if God is love, if on the cross Jesus didn't die for some of the sins but all of the sins, if it's true that however much you sin, the grace of God has always got you covered, if it's not about you but undeserved love saves you in the end, then well, why fight against temptation? Why not just sin? I mean, whether you get drunk or not, if Jesus forgives you with his mercy in the morning, why not have a few? If there's no like exception to the full forgiveness that Jesus finds at the cross, why would you do the hard, agonizing work of resisting what you find in your own heart? And you kind of end up at this you know, second thing he warned about, why follow Jesus as Lord? If Jesus has laid out this path and it's a narrow, difficult path to follow, why not, why not live your truth? Why not be your authentic self? Why deny part of your own heart to follow Jesus if at the end of the day, Jesus is going to bail you out anyway? Does that logic make sense? Being a Christian is beautiful, but it's hard. What if it didn't have to be? Some people said. What if you write your own story, make your own choices, decide what's right or wrong for you, and at the end of the day, say, hey, I'm a Christian, and Jesus forgives. Do you think there's anyone who might have slipped in the Christian church that says that today too? A few of you know that every year, I had the opportunity to go to a local Christian high school and talk about a little book that I wrote concerning sexuality and Christianity. Uh, Really cool, the kids get to ask these anonymous questions to me. I kind of find out where they're at, do my best to teach them. But there's actually something that I've noticed in the last, I'd I'd say, three years in that class. Uh, These are seniors in high school. Many of them have just been immersed in the grace of God through years of Christian education and Sunday services and Christian homes. But what I've noticed question after question after question, in growing amount in recent years, is the idea, well, if Jesus forgives, here's one anonymous question I wrote down verbatim. Someone asked me, Pastor Mike, the Bible says every sin is forgiven. So, doesn't that mean that an unrepentant gay person or an unrepentant straight person is still going to heaven if they're Christian? I mean, following the biblical plan for sexuality is no joke. It is very difficult whether you're straight or gay. So why, why bother <laughs> if you end up in heaven because every sin is forgiven? Why, why fight it? It doesn't just have to do with sexuality though, right? You can make the case for anything. Why honor your parents? Why follow the biblical plan for marriage? Why forgive the people who have hurt you? Why love someone who's difficult to love? Why be generous with your Why do any of the hard things of the Christian faith if, if every sin is forgiven? Now, I don't want to spend the rest of the sermon looking angry and stern and shouting at you, no! I don't want to. But maybe for some of you, 
I have to. That's actually what Jude does. Following verse 4, Jude goes on a 15-verse rant. It is a hyperlinked, Old Testament story-saturated, on and on and on, rambling-ish rant to make one single point, and the point is no. No, grace does not replace repentance. No, real followers of Jesus don't really reject him as Lord. No, real Christians, they do care about their sins and their struggles. They do pick up their cross and follow Jesus. That's, that's Jude's point. I want to read all 15 verses of his letter together. Did you bring a helmet with you today? All right, here's what he says. You might not recognize every reference in this story, but I hope you get the big idea. He says, verse 5, Though you already know this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt. His people. But later, God destroyed those of his people who did not believe. And the angels, the holy perfect angels that God made, the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their proper dwelling, we call them demons, these God has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. In the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people who had slipped into the church, they pollute their own bodies. They reject authority and they heap abuse on celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, the Lord rebuke you. In other words, this is about what God says, not about what I think. The Lord rebuke you. Yet these people, these false teachers, slander whatever they do not understand. And the very things they do understand by instinct, as rational animals do, will destroy them. Woe to them. They've taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These people are blemishes at your love feasts. Eating with you without the slightest qualm. Their sin doesn't bother them a bit. Shepherds who feed only themselves. They're clouds without rain, blown along by the wind. Autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They're wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame. Wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people are grumblers, fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. But dear friends, Remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times, there will be scoffers who follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts, and do not have the Spirit. You follow the theme? No. There's a lot 
in that tough message from Jude, but I heard him say three times in just those closing words, they follow their own desires, they follow their own desires, they follow their natural instincts, they're not following Jesus, they're not repenting of their sin, they're following themselves, they're doing what they want to do. And do you think they ended up okay? Could they live for themselves and yet somehow end up with him? Jude says no. Ask God's Old Testament people, Israel, what happened when they turned their backs and didn't repent of their grumbling ways. Ask the scorched earth of Sodom and Gomorrah what happens when people live their own truth sexually. Ask Cain, the son of Adam and Eve that God cursed, or Korah, who had no time for Moses' authority, whom God personally killed. You do you, and you end up without him. It's a heavy message from Jude. But what he's trying to say to you and to me is that that living spiritually is a lot like living physically. I need a deep breath right now. Maybe you do too. Would you do this with me? Just breathe in really deeply. And I'll breathe it out. That's how you live, right? All this oxygen in the air that your body needs to survive, so we breathe it in. And then you know we can't just keep breathing it in, we have to breathe something out. Not because oxygen isn't what we need to live, but because there's something we have to get out of us. And that's what Jude is saying about faith too. Is there enough of God's love and Jesus' grace in the air to forgive you for everything? For sure. You could sin a thousand more times than you do And there would be enough forgiveness at the cross for you. We breathe it in. We love to. But if you never breathe out your sin in repentance, if you never say, I'm I'm sorry, God, if you never feel the heaviness of wandering away from the good shepherd, Jesus, can your soul live? Can you just say, God is love. Jesus saves. God forgives. No. That's not how the faith works. And anyone who has slipped into your life or your social media feed or your family and convinced you that because of the cross or because of the big heart of God, you can hold your sin in and, and live with it, that teaching will kill you. True Christians are not perfect. Far from it. Real Christians are not fully obedient. Far from it. But do genuine Christians care about the commandments of God? They do. If you know what God says, are not doing what God says, and have zero plans to change your ways so that you can become what God says, are you a real Christian? You are not. People who have the Holy Spirit inside of them desire to follow Jesus. So if there is no desire in your heart to follow Jesus, you don't have Jesus. So I I don't want to ask this question, but I have to. Are there any of you here today, are there any of you watching, sitting at home, who are holding your breath? To be clear, I'm not talking to people who are struggling with sin. 
you might feel like an F-plus Christian today. You face-planted in your faith. You came in and there was so much you needed to confess. I'm not talking to you. That's real faith. I'm not even talking to those of you who are struggling so badly with the sin that you're addicted to it. And you go back to it day after day after day. It doesn't seem like you're getting better, but you just you, you wish you could be different because you know that's not what God wants. That, that actually is real faith too. Here's what I'm talking to you. Any of you who know that this is what God says and you just don't care. Is that you? Are there any guys here today who are living and sleeping with their girlfriends? Who think that God's design for sexuality does not apply to them? Do you think in Hebrews 13.4 where God says the marriage bed should be honored by all for God will judge the sexually immoral? Do you think, do you, think you get a free pass from that? Just to test your compatibility and save a few bucks on rent? Is there anyone here today who thinks good sexuality is defined by what you feel and desire by instinct instead of what we find in the scriptures? As if what your heart wants is what defines goodness instead of what the heart of God wants? Are there any husbands here today whose coworkers and clients get more love, attention, and affection than their own wives? Who feel like they always get the worst of you and the last of you? Are there any wives here today whose husbands have forgotten what it feels like to be respected when they come home? Are there any parents or step-parents here today who have used their anger to control children? Such a twisted and abusive way that will scar the way they understand God as a heavenly father? Do you act all nice at church, but behind closed doors your kids know? Are there any kids here today who think that because you're, you're 15, you're 12, you're 18, that honor your father and mother is optional? Any teens here today? Maybe some who go to that Christian high school who, who party underage? And you honestly think as long as you're not addicted or drive drunk that it's cool with Jesus? Are there any grown-ups here today who are of age who think the same thing? Is there anyone here today who is so Republican that when they drive on the highway past those handmade signs in the farmer's field that mock and degrade the president, you think it's funny. Because deep in your heart, you hate him. The angels are not laughing. Is there anyone here today who's actually bought the narrative that it's your body? <laughs> Did you make it? Do you actually believe this? That, that a couple, a, a woman, anyone gets to decide when life begins as if you are the Lord who creates life and decides it? Is there anyone here who 
like publicly on social media supports the, the murder of children because it think it, you think it makes you compassionate towards grown-ups. Are there any pro-lifers here today who vote to defend life in the womb every single time and yet when real humans are struggling with the real things that lead them to abortion, the fact is you, you do nothing. Do some of you give more to feed your pets than you do to feed the poor? Do some of you here today think that you can have a strong faith in Jesus without organized religion? No pastor, no community, no structure, no communion, but you're going to be fine, right? Because faith is a personal thing. Never mind the Old Testament or the New, the apostles or the prophets, all the books of the Bible. Is that you? Is anyone here holding their breath, waiting for this service to be done, waiting for this episode to be over? Because you, you really, you know, let, let the preacher rant for a bit, threaten you with hell, but you're, you're still going to do it. Some of you know, I would much rather make a dumb joke standing up here than threaten you with hell. I, I don't want to. But for the sake of your soul, I, I have to. If you hold your breath and live for you and never repent, you might think you're good with God. You might think you're going to a better place. But on the day that you die, you will bang on the gates of heaven and Jesus himself will peer through the bars and he will say, do I know you? I'm begging you to breathe today. I'm trying to persuade you that whatever you're getting out of holding on to that sin, in the end, it is so small compared to the bigness of what God wants for you. That's why Jude ends this section of his letter with these powerful words. He says, but you, dear friends, here's a contrast, by building yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Now, what's the answer in a world that tells us, do you do you? Do what you want, follow your heart, you'll be fine. Write this down, here's Jude's response. He says, no, you dear friends, keep yourselves in God's love. And I love that, that choice of words. You expect him to say, keep yourself in God's truth. Don't let go of it. Instead, he says, no, no, no. Let's not forget that the God who is truth, he's always love. The pastors might look greener somewhere else. You could wander away from him like sheep going astray. Keep yourselves here because this God loves you so much. The world out there cannot give you heaven. The world out there will run out of mercy and time for you, not God. Keep yourself in God's love. Pray about it. Build yourself up in it. Remind your children of it. And, and I want to just say, to those of you for whom this sermon was not really meant, if you are repentant, thank you, God. Thank you, God. If you honestly believe that denying your own heart to follow Jesus is worth it, say a prayer of thanks. To, many people do not believe that. 
Thank you, God, for keeping me right here, building me up in this faith as I wait for the mercy of Jesus Christ. Jude looks forward to the future, the day when Jesus returns, when everyone who have been holding their breath will experience instant regret. And those who have been struggling and fighting against sin and wondering maybe in the back of their minds, is this worth it? Will see the face of their glorious Savior and God and say, every second. So, if you're repentant, keep repenting. If you're not, it's not too late. I wrote on the top of my sermon today, Mike, be strong and courageous. And then I wrote in Spanish, palabras duras, corazones suaves. Hard words, soft hearts. I pray that my words and Jude's words today, as hard as they were, might create a soft, repentant, receptive heart that follows Jesus as Lord and lives in his grace. By God's crazy timing last Monday, I was at the the produce section of my favorite grocery store and I noticed a man next to the, the salad staring at me. He said, Pastor, you don't know me, but I'm, I want to show you something. This middle-aged man pulls out his wallet, he opens it, he pulls out a piece of paper, and he unfolds it, and I notice it's a, a printed version of a sermon that I once preached on sexual purity. And I saw all over it, I, I couldn't read the words, but I saw his personal notes and underlines and asterisks. He, he looked at me, and his, I could see tears starting to fill his eyes. He said, Pastor, you, you said as long as we're still fighting, right? I'm still fighting. And I wanted to say to him in front of the salad, amen. (laughs) Amen. And I want to say that to you too. You might be fighting. You might feel like you're losing. But if you are repentant, you are winning. The devil wants to have you, to own you, to get you to follow your own heart. If despite all the things inside of you, the desires and instincts that you find, you say, no, Jesus is worth it. You are winning. If you actually believe that giving up the pleasures and treasures of this world is worth it because Jesus has in store for you eternal pleasures at his right hand and treasures that this world can't touch, you are winning. If you're not holding your breath but saying again today, God, forgive me, and breathing in his amazing grace, you you are not losing. No matter how weak your faith seems, you are winning. So my dear friends, if you believe that, if today you will join me in, and we all can take a deep breath. And next Sunday, I don't, have to say what I have to. I can say what you and I both want to. And all of us, with joy and grace in our hearts, can get back to the party. Let's pray. God, we live in a culture uh, that seems to honor you with their lips, but then they tell us always to follow our hearts. They make such a big deal out of this life and our relationships and our romance and our money and our bodies and everything. They just, they don't talk about what happens after this life. So thank you, God, for opening our eyes to it. Uh, Jesus, you once said, what sense does it make if we get everything in this world but we give up our soul? Uh, 
And so today, God, we thank you for the book of Jude. We thank you for the smelling salts that snap us back to what's real and what endures forever. I pray, God, that there's not a single soul listening, sitting here today that runs from your truth. If there's anything that I've said that they have doubts about, God, may they not run, but reach out and ask that, as Jude says, we can show mercy to such doubting and questions and we can save those who are so close to the fire. God, we want to be a church that preaches primarily the things we are for, that gushes about your glory and your goodness, God, but never help us to become that at the expense of what we sometimes need to be. A church that is full of grace and truth at at 200 proof. So please, in ways we can't see just yet, bless this message. Bless your truth. May it produce in us, with those hard words, some soft hearts that are always ready to receive the word of Jesus. We pray all these things in his beautiful and worthy name. And all those here who believed it, join their voices and they said, Amen. Amen.